Chapter 13 of the Conquest of Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anchor. The Conquest of Bread by Peter Kropotkin. The Collectivist Wages System. Part 1. In their plans for the reconstruction of society, the collectivists commit, in our opinion, a twofold error. While speaking of abolishing capitalist rule, they intend nevertheless to retain two institutions which are the very basis of this rule, representative government and the wages system. As regards so-called representative government, we have often spoken about it. It is absolutely incomprehensible to us that intelligent men, and such are not wanting in the collectivist party, can remain partisans of national or municipal parliaments after all the lessons history has given them. In France, in England, in Germany, or in the United States, while we see parliamentary rule breaking up, and from all sides criticism of this rule growing louder, not only of its results, but also of its principles, how is it that the revolutionary socialists defend a system already condemned to die, built up by the middle classes to hold their own against royalty, sanctioning and at the same time strengthening their sway over the workers? Parliamentary rule is preeminently a middle class rule. The upholders of this system have never seriously maintained that a parliament or a municipal council represent a nation or a city. The most intelligent among them know that this is impossible. The middle classes have simply used the parliamentary system to raise a protecting barrier against the pretensions of royalty without giving the people liberty. But gradually, as the people become conscious of their real interests and the variety of their interests is growing, the system can no longer work. Therefore, democrats of all countries vainly imagine various palliatives. The referendum is tried and found to be a failure. Proportional representation is spoken of, the representation of minorities and other parliamentary utopias. In a word, they strive to find what is not to be found, and after each new experiment, they are bound to recognize that it was a failure. So that confidence in representative government vanishes more and more. It is the same with the wages system, because once the abolition of private property is proclaimed, and the possession in common of all means of production is introduced, how can the wages system be maintained in any form? This is nevertheless what collectivists are doing when they recommend the use of the labour checks as a mode of remuneration for labour accomplished for the great collectivist employer, the state. It is easy to understand why the early English socialists, since the time of Robert Owen, came to the system of labour checks. They simply tried to make capital and labour agree. They repudiated the idea of laying hands on capitalist property by means of revolutionary measures. It is also easy to understand why Proudhon took up later on the same idea. In his mutualist system, he tried to make capital less offensive, notwithstanding the retaining of private property, which he detested from the bottom of his heart, but which he believed to be necessary to guarantee individuals against the state. Neither is it astonishing that certain economists, more or less bourgeois, admit labour checks. They care little whether the worker is paid in labour notes or in coin stamp with the effigy of the Republic or the Empire. They only care to save from destruction the individual ownership of dwelling houses, of land, of factories in any case, that at least of dwelling houses and the capital that is necessary for manufacturing. 
sharing and labor notes would just answer the purpose of upholding this private property as long as labor notes can be exchanged for jewels or carriages the owner of the house will willingly accept them for rent and as long as dwelling houses fields and factories belong to isolated owners men will have to pay these owners in one way or another for being allowed to work in the fields or factories or for living in the houses the owners will agree to be paid by the workers in gold in paper money or in checks exchangeable for all sorts of commodities once that toll upon labor is maintained and the right to levy it is left with them but how can we defend labor notes this new form of wage union when we admit that the houses the fields and the factories will no longer be private property that they will belong to the commune or the nation part two let us closely examine this system of remuneration for work done preached by the french german english and italian collectivists the spanish anarchists who still call themselves collectivists imply by collectivism the possession in common of all instruments of production and the liberty of each group to divide the produce as they think fit according to communists or any other principles it amounts to this everybody works in field factory school hospital etc the working day is fixed by the state which owns the land the factories the roads etc every work day is paid for with a labor note which is inscribed with these words eight hours work with this check the worker can procure all sorts of merchandise in the stores owned by the state or by diverse corporations the check is divisible so that you can buy an hour's work worth of meat ten minutes worth of matches or half an hour of tobacco after the collectivist revolution instead of saying two pence worth of soap we shall say five minutes worth of soap most collectivists true to the distinction laid down by middle-class economists open bracket and by marx as well close bracket between qualified work and simple work tell us moreover that qualified or professional work must be paid a certain quantity more than simple work thus one hour's work of a doctor will have to be considered as equivalent to two or three hours work of a hospital nurse or to three or five hours work of a navy professional or qualified work will be a multiple of simple work says the collectivist grown loan because this kind of work needs a more or less long apprenticeship some other collectivists such as the french marxists guest do not make this distinction they proclaim the equality of wages the doctor the schoolmaster and the professor will be paid open bracket in labor checks at the same rate as the navy eight hours visiting the sick in a hospital will be worth the same as eight hours spent in earthworks or else in mines or factories some make a greater concession they admit that disagreeable or unhealthy work such as sewerage could be paid for at a higher rate than agreeable work one hour's work of a sewerman would be worth they say two hours of a professor's work let us add that certain collectivists admit of corporations being paid a lump sum for work done thus a corporation would say here are a hundred tons of steel a hundred workmen were required to produce them and it took them ten days their work day being an eight hours day it has taken them eight thousand working hours to produce a hundred tons of steel eight hours a ton for this the state would pay them eight thousand labor notes of one hour each and these eight thousand chicks would be divided among the members of the iron works as they themselves thought proper on the other hand a hundred miners having taken twenty days to extract eight thousand tons of coal coal would be worth two hours a ton and the sixteen thousand chicks of one hour each received by the guilds of miners would be divided among their members according to their own appreciation if the miners protested and said that a ton of steel should only cost six hours work instead of eight if the professor wished to have his day paid four times more than the nurse then the state would interfere and would settle the differences 
such is in a few words the organization the collectivists wish to see arise out of the social revolution as we see their principles are collective property of the instruments of production and remuneration to each according to the time spent in producing while taking into account the productivity of his labor as to the political system it would be the parliamentary system modified by positive instructions given to those elected and by the referendum a vote taken by nos or ays by the nation let us own that this system appears to us simply unrealizable collectivists begin by proclaiming a revolutionary principle the abolition of private poverty and then they deny it no sooner than proclaimed by upholding an organization of production and consumption which originated in private property they proclaim a revolutionary principle and ignore the consequences that this principle will inevitably bring about they forget that the very fact of abolishing individual property in the instruments of work land factories road capital must launch society into absolutely new channels must completely overthrow the present system of production both in its aim as well as in its means must modify daily relations between individuals as soon as land machinery and all other instruments of production are considered common property they say no private property and immediately after strive to maintain private property in its daily manifestations you shall be a commune as far as regards production fields tools machinery all that has been invented up till now factories railways harbors mines etc all are yours not the slightest distinction will be made concerning the share of each in this collective property but from tomorrow you will minutely debate the share you are going to take in the creation of new machinery in the digging of new mines you will carefully weigh what part of the new produce belongs to you you will count your minutes of work and you will take care that a minute of your neighbours should not buy more than yours and as an hour measures nothing as in some factories a worker can see to six power looms at a time while in another he only tends to you will weigh the muscular force the brain energy and the nervous energy you have expended you will accurately calculate the years of apprenticeship in order to appraise the amount each will contribute to future production and this after having declared that you do not take into account his share in post production well for us it is evident that a society cannot be based on two absolutely opposed principles two principles that contradict one another continually and a nation or a commune which would have such an organization would be compelled to revert to private property in the instruments of production or to transform itself into a communist society part three we have said that certain collectivist writers desire that a distinction should be made between qualified or professional work and simple work they pretend that an hour's work of an engineer an architect or a doctor must be considered as two or three hours work of a blacksmith a mason or a hospital nurse and the same distinction must be made between all sorts of trades necessitating apprenticeship and the simple toil of day laborers well to establish this distinction would be to maintain all the inequalities of present society it would mean fixing a dividing line from the beginning between the workers and those who pretend to govern them it would mean dividing society into two very distinct classes the aristocracy of knowledge placed above the horny-handed lower orders the one doomed to serve the other the one working with its hands to feed and clothe those who profiting by their leisure study how to govern their fosterers it would mean reviving one of the distinct peculiarities of present society and giving it the sanction of a social revolution it would mean setting up as a principle an abuse already condemned in our ancient crumbling society we know the answer we shall get we will speak of scientific socialism they will quote bourgeois economists and marx too to prove that a scale of wages has its raison d'etre 
as the labour force of the engineer will have cost more to society than the labour force of the navy. In fact, have not economists tried to prove to us that if an engineer is paid 20 times more than a navy, it is because the necessary outlay to make an engineer is greater than that necessary to make a navy? And has not Marx asserted that the same distinction is equally logical between two branches of manual labour? He could not conclude otherwise, having taken up on his own account Ricardo's theory of value and upheld that goods are exchanged in proportion to the quantity of work socially necessary for their production. But we know what to think of this. We know that if engineers, scientists or doctors are paid ten or hundred times more than a labourer, and if a weaver earns three times more than an agricultural labourer, and ten times more than a girl in a match factory, it is not by reason of their cost of production, but by reason of a monopoly of education or a monopoly of industry. Engineers, scientists and doctors merely exploit their capital, their diplomas as middle-class employers exploit a factory, or as nobles used to exploit their titles of nobility. As to the employer who pays an engineer, 20 times more than a labourer, it is simply due to personal interest. If the engineer can economise £4,000 a year on the cost of production, the employer pays him £800. And if the employer has a foreman who saves £400 on the work by cleverly sweating workmen, he gladly gives him £80 or £120 a year. He parts with an extra £40 when he expects to gain £400 by it. And this is the essence of the capitalist system, the same differences obtained among different manual trades. Let them, therefore, not talk to us of the cost of production, which raises the cost of skilled labour, and tell us that a student who has gaily spent his youth in a university has a right to a wage ten times greater than the son of a miner who has grown pale in a mine since the age of eleven, or that a weaver has a right to a wage three or four times greater than that of an agricultural labourer. The cost of teaching a weaver his work is not four times greater than the cost of teaching a peasant his. The weaver simply benefits by the advantages his industry reaps in international trade from countries that have as yet no industries, and in consequence of the privileges accorded by all states to industries in preference to the tilling of the soil. Nobody has ever calculated the cost of production of a producer. And if a noble loafer costs far more to society than a worker, it remains to be seen whether a robust day labourer does not cost more to society than a skilled artisan when you have taken into account infant mortality among the poor the ravages of anemia and premature deaths could they for example make us believe that the one s three d paid to a paris workman the three d paid to an Auvergne peasant girl who grows blind at lace making or the one s a d paid to the peasant represent their cost of production we know full well that people work for less, but we also know that they do so exclusively because, thanks to our wonderful organization, they would die of hunger did they not accept these mock wages. For us, the scale of remuneration is a complex result of taxes, of governmental tutelage, of capitalist monopoly, in a word of state and capital. Therefore, we say that all wages theories have been invented after the event to justify injustices at present existing, and that we did not take them into consideration. Neither will they fail to tell us that the collectivist scale of wages would be an improvement. It would be better, so they say, to see certain artisans receiving a wage two or three times higher than common laborers, than to see a minister receiving in a day what a workman cannot earn in a year. It would be a great step towards equality. For us, this step would be the reverse of progress. To make a distinction between simple and professional work in a new society would result in the revolution sanctioning and recognizing as a principle a brutal fact would submit to nowadays, but that we nevertheless find unjust. 
it would mean imitating those gentlemen of the french assembly who proclaim on august fourth seventeen eighty nine the abolition of feudal rights but who on august eighth sanction these same rights by imposing dues on the peasants to compensate the noblemen placing these Jews under the protection of the revolution. It would mean imitating the Russian government, which proclaimed at the time of the emancipation of the serfs that certain lands should henceforth belong to the nobility, while formerly these lands were considered as belonging to the serfs. Or else, to take a better known example, when the Commune of 1871 decided to pay members of the Commune Council 12s 6d a day while the federates on the ramparts receive only one s 3d this decision was hailed as an act of superior democratic equality in reality the commune only ratified the former inequality between functionary and soldier government and governed coming from an opportunist chamber of deputies such a decision would have appeared admirable but the commune doomed her own revolutionary principles when she failed to put them into practice under our existing social system when a minister gets paid four thousand pounds a year while a workman must content himself with forty pounds or less when a foreman is paid two or three times more than a workman and among workmen there is every gradation from eight s a day down to the peasant girls three d we disapprove of the high salary of the minister as well as of the difference between the eight s of the workman and the three d of the poor woman and we say down with the privileges of education as well as with those of birth we are anarchists precisely because these privileges revolt us they revolt us already in this authoritarian society could we endure them in a society that began by proclaiming equality this is why some collectivists understanding the impossibility of maintaining a scale of wages in a society inspired by the breath of a revolution hasten to proclaim equality of wage but they meet with new difficulties and the equality of wages becomes the same unrealizable utopia as the scale of wages of other collectivists a society having taken possession of all social wealth having boldly proclaimed the right of all to this wealth whatever share they may have taken in producing it will be compelled to abandon any system of wages whether in currency or labor notes part four the collectivists say to each according to his deeds or in other terms according to his share of services rendered to society they think it expedient to put this principle into practice as soon as the social revolution will have made all instruments of production common property but we think that if the social revolution had the misfortune of proclaiming such a principle it would mean its necessary failure it would mean leaving the social problem which past centuries have burdened us with unsolved of course in a society like ours in which the more a man works the less he is remunerated this principle at first sight may appear to be a yearning for justice but in reality it is only the perpetuation of injustice it was by proclaiming this principle that wagedom began to end in the glaring inequalities and all the abominations of prison society because from the moment work done began to be appraised in currency or in any other form of wage the day it was agreed upon that man would only receive the wage he should be able to secure to himself the whole history of a state-aided capitalist society was as good as written it was contained in germ in this principle shall we then return to our starting point and go through the same evolution again our theorists desire it but fortunately it is impossible the revolution we maintain must be communist if not it will be drowned in blood and have to be begun over again services rendered to society be they work in factory or field or mental services cannot be valued in money there can be no exact measure of value open bracket of what has been wrongly termed exchange value close bracket no of use value in terms of production if two individuals work for the community five hours a day year in year out at different work which is equally agreeable to them we may say that on the whole their labor is approximately equivalent but we cannot divide their work and say that the result of any particular day hour or minute of work 
the one is worth the result of one day one hour or one minute of the other we may roughly say that the man who during his lifetime has deprived himself of leisure during ten hours a day has given far more to society than the one who has only deprived himself of leisure during five hours a day or who has not deprived himself at all but we cannot take what he has done during two hours and say that the yield of his two hours work is worth twice as much as the yield of another individual who has worked only one hour and remunerate the two in proportion it would be disregarding all that is complex in industry in agriculture in the whole life of present society it would be ignoring to what extent all individual work is the result of the past and the present labour of society as a whole it would mean believing ourselves to be living in the stone age whereas we are living in an age of steel if you enter a modern coal mine you will see a man in charge of a huge machine that raises and lowers a cage in his hand he holds a lever that stops and reverses the course of the machine he lowers it and the cage reverses its course in the twinkling of an eye he sends it upwards or downwards into the depths of the chaff with a giddy swiftness all attention he follows with his eyes fixed on an indicator which shows him on a small scale at which point of the shaft the cage is at each second of its progress and as soon as the indicator has reached a certain level he suddenly stops the course of the cage not a yard higher nor lower than the required spot and no sooner have the colliers unloaded their coal wagonettes and pushed empty ones instead than he reverses the lever and again sends the cage back into space during eight or ten consecutive hours every day he must keep the same strain of attention should his brain relax for a moment the cage would inevitably strike against the gear break its wheels snap the rope crush men and put a stop to all work in the mine should he waste three seconds at each touch of the lever the extraction in our modern perfected mines will be reduced from twenty to fifty tons a day is it he who is the most necessary man in the mine or is it perhaps the boy who signals to him from below to raise the cage is it the miner at the bottom of the shaft who risks his life every instant and who will some day be killed by fire damp or is it the engineer who would lose the lay of coal and would cause the miners to dig on rock by a simple mistake in his calculation or is it the mine owner who has put his capital into the mine and who has perhaps contrary to expert advice asserted that excellent coal would be found there all those who are engaged in the mine contribute to the extraction of coal in proportion to their strength their energy their knowledge their intelligence and their skill and we may say that all have a right to live to satisfy their needs and even their whims when the necessaries of life have been secured for all but how can we appraise the work of each one of them and moreover is the coal they have extracted entirely their work is it not also the work of the men who have built the railway leading to the mine and the roads that radiate from all the railway stations is it not also the work of those who have tilled and sown the fields extracted iron cut wood in the forest built the machines that burn coal slowly developed the mining industry altogether and so on it is utterly impossible to draw a distinction between the work of each of those men to measure the work by its results lead us to an absurdity to divide the total work and to measure its fractions by the number of hours spent on the work also leads us to absurdity one thing remains to put the needs above the works and first of all to recognize the right to live and later on the right to well-being for all those who took their share in production but take any other branch of human activity take the manifestations of life as a whole which one of us can claim the higher remuneration for his work is it the doctor who has found out the illness or the nurse who has brought about recovery by her hygienic care is it the inventor of the first steam engine or the boy who one day getting tired of pulling the rope that formerly opened the valve to let steam under the piston tied the rope to the lever of the machine without suspecting that he had invented the essential mechanical part of all modern machinery the automatic valve 
Is it the inventor of the locomotive or the workman of Newcastle who suggested replacing the stones formerly laid under the rails by wooden sleepers as the stones for want of elasticity cause the trains to derail? Is it the engineer on the locomotive, the signalman who stops the train or lets them pass by, the switchman who transfers a train from one line to another? Again, to whom do we owe the transatlantic cable? Is it to the electrical engineer who obstinately affirmed that the cable would transmit messages while learned men of science declared it to be impossible? Is it to Murray, the learned physical geographer, who advised that thick cables should be set aside for others as thin as a walking cane? Or else to those volunteers, come from nobody knows where, who spend their days and nights on deck, minutely examining every yard of the cable and remove the nails that the shareholders of steamship companies stupid decoys to be driven into the non-conducting wrapper of the cable so as to make it unserviceable and in a wider sphere the true sphere of life with its joys with its sufferings and its accidents cannot each one of us recall someone who has rendered him so great a service that we should be indignant if its equivalent in coin were mentioned the service may have been but a word nothing but a word spoken at the right time or else it may have been months and years of devotion and we are going to appraise these incalculable services in labor notes the works of each but human society would not exist for more than two consecutive generations if everyone did not give infinitely more than that for which he is paid in coin in checks or in civic rewards the race would soon become extinct if mothers did not sacrifice their lives to take care of their children if men did not give continually without demanding an equivalent reward if men did not give most precisely when they expect no reward if middle-class society is decaying if we have got into a blind alley from which we cannot emerge without attacking past institutions with torch and hatchet it is precisely because we have given too much to counting it is because we have let ourselves be influenced into giving only to receive it is because we have aimed at turning society into a commercial company based on debit and credit after all the collectivists novice themselves they vaguely understand that a society could not exist if it carried out the principle of each according to his deeds they have a notion that necessaries we do not speak of whims the needs of the individual do not always correspond to his works thus the pape tells us the principle the eminently individualist principle would however be tempered by social intervention for the education of children and young persons open bracket including maintenance and lodging close bracket and by the social organization for assisting the infirm and the sick for retreats for age workers etc they understand that a man of forty father of three children has other needs than a young man of twenty they know that the woman who suckles her infant and spends sleepless nights at its bedside cannot do as much work as the man who has slept peacefully they seem to take in that men and women worn out maybe by need of overwork for society may be incapable of doing as much work as those who have spent their time leisurely and pocketed their labour notes in the privileged career of state functionaries they are eager to temper their principle they say society will not fail to maintain and bring up its children to help both aged and infirm without doubt needs will be the measure of the cost that society will burden itself with to temper the principle of deeds charity charity always christian charity organized by the state this time they believe in improving the asylums for foundlings in effecting all age and sick insurances so as to temper their principle but they cannot yet throw aside the idea of wounding first and healing afterwards thus after having denied communism after having laughed at their ease at the formulae to each according to his needs these great economists discover that they have forgotten something the needs of the producers which they now admit 
only it is for the state to estimate them for the state to verify if the needs are not disproportionate to the work the state will dole out charity thence to the english poor law and the workhouse is but a step there is but a slight difference because even this stepmother of a society against whom we are in revolt has also been compelled to temper her individualist principles she too has had to make concessions in a communist direction and under the same form of charity she too distributes half-penny dinners to prevent the pillaging of her shops builds hospitals often very bad ones but sometimes splendid ones to prevent the ravages of contagious diseases she too after having paid the hours of labour shelters the children of those she has wrecked she takes their needs into consideration and does our charity poverty we have said elsewhere was the primary cause of wealth it was poverty that created the first capitalists because before accumulating surplus value of which we hear so much men had to be sufficiently destitute to consent to sell their labour so as not to die of hunger it was poverty that made capitalists and if the number of the poor increased so rapidly during the middle ages it was due to the invasions and wars that followed the founding of states and to the increase of riches resulting from the exploitation of the east these two causes tore asunder the bonds that kept men together in the agrarian and urban communities and told them to proclaim the principle of wages so dear to the exploiters instead of the solidarity they formerly practised in their tribal life and it is this principle that is to spring from a revolution which men dare to call by the name of social revolution a name so dear to the starved the oppressed and the sufferers it can never be for the day on which all institutions will fall under the proletarian acts voices will cry out bread shelter is for all and those voices will be listened to the people will say let us begin by allaying our thirst for life for happiness for liberty that we have never quenched and when we shall have tasted of this joy we will set to work to demolish the last vestiges of middle-class rule its morality drawn from account books its debit and credit philosophy its mine and yours institutions in demolishing we shall build as proudhon said and we shall build in the name of communism and anarchy end of the collectivist wages system recording by enco